Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. sisters and welcome to episode 13 of our podcast as promised we've invited some fantastic guests to join us this season well really we just got sick of talking to only each other but uh, today we're delighted to introduce you to a really special person we met Jen James early last summer uh, at a blogging conference in Florida where she was part of a presentation on navigating mental health issues a subject on which she is expert as founding supervisor of the Crisis Text Line and a bona fide anxiety sister herself, Jen walks the walk and talks the talk better than almost anyone else we know. She's not what you might expect from a woman who, on top of dealing with mental health issues since early adulthood and is also a breast cancer survivor, she's zany and energetic and adventurous and brings a rainbow of colors, literally, into every room she enters. What did you decide with your hair? Uh, I'm going to go with lavender, I think. A little Woo! bit of lavender and blonde. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. We voted for lavender, by the way. Yes, I saw. Thank you. We were immediately drawn to her sense of humor. I mean, this is a woman whose Skype name. Can I tell her them your Skype name? Why not? It's Team Unicorn Farts. So we were There's just... a story behind that, though. I mean, that's a whole different story. But yes, it's quite the unique name. It is a unique name. But there's also pictures circulating the internet of Jen with a unicorn horn on. So <laughs> you can get the idea. Google Jen James. She has tremendous compassion and strength, which underlies all that bubbly humor. And we are so inspired by the commitment she has made to helping others manage their brain illnesses, including anxiety and depression and also her work to eliminate the surrounding stigma. This year, she was awarded the Voices of the Year Courage Award from She Knows Media. So please welcome to our studio, Jen James. <laughs> random clapping, random clapping. Uh -oh. I am giving the, you know, little snap snaps in the air for being here. I'm so stoked to talk with you guys. Oh, good. Good. Well, you know what? We should start in the very first thing people are going to want to know is what is the crisis text line? How does that work? Oh, I could talk days and days and days about the crisis text line. Uh, the crisis text line is crisis intervention via text messaging. And so a lot of people associate like suicide hotlines and stuff to phones. We're not just a suicide hotline. I mean, we help anyone in crisis but we're there in the moment. We're right there at your fingertips in a text message because a lot of people don't want to actually talk on the phone. Just again, with yeah. anxiety, social anxieties, you know, introverts, kids under the age of 18. I mean, yeah, I was going to say my 20 year old son would, would only text. <laughs> yeah. I only text really. I mean, literally you call my cell phone and you get the voicemail. It's like, why are you calling? I'm always like, why are you leaving me a message? Just send me a text. Right. And so if it's more, if it's beyond a couple of messages on text, I guess I'll give you a call, but mostly it, right. I mean, most people like to text and this way it gives you that privacy and that anonymity that you wouldn't have on the phone. That's so great. It, and what's the number for the crisis text line? Just to... Oh, yeah. You can text hello or uh, 
help or SIS to 741741 on your phone. And we're going to put those in the show notes so that our, our readers and listeners can see it. Perfect. It's really easy because it's right there on the left-hand side of the, the keypad on your phone. So 741-741, and you'll get a trained crisis counselor who is there for you in that moment, ready to listen in a, a non-judgmental place. So, And okay. is it anonymous? I mean, do they take any information or how does that work? Um, you know, that's a wonderful question. When, when the person texts in, you don't know where they are. Um, but if the person is at imminent risk, say that they are planning on hurting themselves or others, then we do have precautions that we can take. Um, but that is so rare mm-hmm. that we do. I mean, our job isn't to call the police on someone. Our job is to deescalate the situation. The person's texting in for help, and therefore that is something that we can work with. You know, there's that glimmer of hope because they're texting out. So we focus on that, and we really try to deescalate the situation. It is anonymous. All of our data really is um, self-disclosed data from our texters. Okay. So it's kind of cool because like 75% of our texters identify under the age of 25. Oh, I was just going to ask you that. I, I was going to say, I, I, I imagine that you would have a lot of younger people using this service. We do. And, and another interesting and sad you know, data that we have is like children under the age of 13 are most likely texting about self-harm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's heartbreaking. It's just, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, the data is really, really cool because like I said, it's all self-identified data from our texters. So we get a lot of students that identify as LGBTQ. Mm, I mean, that's yeah. almost 50% of the students that wow. we get identified. Wow. And so there's a lot of struggles out there, but again, they're reaching out and, oh, I'm so glad that this was created and that we were able to provide this space, this unique space for people all around the country. And, and, it's, and it's completely free to users, correct? Oh, yeah, it's completely free. Um, and we also, with all the major carriers, uh, cell phone carriers, it doesn't show up on your phone bill. Oh, oh that's, that's fantastic. So think about it, though. If you're in a domestic violence situation and you're texting in, that abuser, once you delete the message, they will never know. And you can still get that help and that that in that moment and the help to possibly be able to leave the abuser if you want, or just having that person there to be able to listen is just so amazing. I wish that this was around when I was younger. I, there would have definitely <laughs> been a few nights where I could have absolutely used the crisis text line. That would oh, yeah. have been really I helpful. Have, I could have used it in April of 1995, that's for sure. Yeah, well, um, um, we've, one of the things that I, I was reading about the crisis text line is that you guys have been able to, even though I know it's anonymous, compile some really interesting statistics because... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because you guys are very tech savvy and um, are looking at it sort of like a real sort of very much in in a technology kind of way. And so what are some of the things you guys you told us about, you know, finding out kids 13 and under are are texting about Um, self-harm? You know, what's really cool about our data, I mean, we call it crisis trends, crisis trends dot org. It's available to the public. Okay. We really are. We really want to empower journalists and researchers and school and parents and everyone to look at this just to see that what's trending and it could be happening in your community. It could be happening in your, you know, in your family. Mm -hmm. And so one of the really cool things about our data though, is it was, um, one of the statistics for suicide ideation 
the number one state came up is in Montana. Wow. And so a lot of people are like, really, Montana? But it's such an isolated community. Yes. And there's, you know, and there's not a lot of help there uh, readily available. And what's super cool about it is the governor of Montana saw that statistic, used that statistic, and became a keyword partner for us. Oh, and so wow. people and he has spread the message in marketing and everything. And so people that text in MT are coming from Montana. And so that gives us an idea and it gives the Montana, you know, the government, once they get a certain amount of conversations, obviously we can't like, if they only get 10 conversations, we're not going to give them any data because it's still confidential, you know, mm -hmm. but if they get a certain amount of conversations, they're able to see what's trending and then be able to better their community. And I just love that. That uh, is amazing. It is amazing. Because that's working on the um, meta level and on the sort of personal level, but it's also working on a policy level yeah. or the more meta level. It yeah. is. And, and, you know, the cool thing about it, too, is the trends that we show is you can look at, you know, what day is the highest day for eating disorders or what day is the highest day for anxiety. And, you know, so there's all of these. What day is the highest day for anxiety? <laughs> I was going to ask the same I don't have to. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. We can... I can look it up, though, because I am right on I'm, this one. I'm going right to I'm gonna go with Monday. Hmm. You think? Yeah. I, well, for me. <laughs> Sunday night? Actually. Sunday night or Monday, I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, as I'm looking it up, you know, what another cool thing, though, like I said, is you can look by issues. So you have anxiety, you have suicide, you have New Hampshire's the number one anxiety uh, state, by the way. Um, That's our tribe. <laughs> um, so uh, the highest day is Monday. Very good. Very there you good. go. <laughs> I know my stuff. Um, and it is Monday night, like mm -hmm. between like 8 to 12 midnight. Yeah. Um, so those, yeah, those are, that's mm -hmm. the stat for anxiety. And you can also look at other tags that are attached to it, like relationships, sadness, isolation. Um, so those are all things uh, that are causing anxiety uh, within our, that's trending with us. So it's oh, really useful information, really helpful, especially for journalists. We're, Maggie and I are trying really hard to get uh, messages out into the community just like you are and and we need the help of journalists good journalists to get the statistics out there so people understand just how widespread mental health issues are and and especially now that we're going back to college in another month or so or going back to high school this is a really fraught time for a it lot is. of a lot of young people so um, well we get a we get a spike every day at lunchtime um, when I say spike, we get like an influx of conversations and mm -hmm. it's really generally students at lunch for school. Mm, of course. So they're sitting there in the lunchroom feeling anxious, feeling sad, feeling like, you know, somebody may have bullied them. And so we're there right there and nobody knows that they're texting us. That's so great. Because people just text. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's really yeah, great. It's, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, I was looking on the stats too, like, uh, the, for anxiety, like it really peaked in um around 2016 mm. uh in november december so i'm not getting too deep with that but you might figure out why we got that <laughs> being very subtle yes. trying to be no mm -hmm. yes but uh, but yeah so you you can see that like things that are happening in the news is also causes uh spikes with us as well um, wow. regarding different topics that you see. Sure, that makes sense. So I have I, I have a two questions about the crisis text line um, to ask you. One is that if I called in 
to the crisis text Texted line. Text it in. If I cut my text yeah, it in. I'm sorry you. if I text it in. <laughs> I prefer to text. I just always say it wrong. But if, so if I texted into the line uh, and I spoke with someone who was really helpful to me, would I be able to t contact that person again? You know, that that's a common question that we get. And the answer is no. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because we are crisis counselors. And so with the crisis counselor, we're there for you in that moment. If Got you're it. looking to talk to this person again, it's kind of like you're going to want to talk to a therapist Absolutely. because it's more of a long-term thing. And so that's where we empower them. You know, it's like, if you want to continue to talk to us over and over again, that means you're looking for long-term support. And so we can offer resources for that person to be able to find somebody that works for them and Great. be able to get that long-term support that they're looking for. That was my follow-up question is that if you see that someone is looking for long-term support, do you have resources to offer them or places to point them? Yeah, you know, another great thing, you know, we are very transparent with Crisis Text Line. And so on our main website, crisistextline.org, you can look under need help and it'll show you our referrals that we offer any of our texters. So if you have know someone and you're like, ah, I don't, you know, I'm looking for this, you know, substance abuse or whatever, you can go to our main website and you can find what we offer. And they're all national vetted programs. They um, are user friendly. They also have like, you know, we're not, we don't have websites that have cookies popping up and like, oh, buy this, you know, oh, <laughs> I see that you love dresses. I'm going to put that everywhere. Um, <laughs> what's on our referrals though is everything that we offer and it's all, uh, it's all nationally vetted by a committee that we have. And if you, it has to be accessible to people who have iPhones and Android. So like we'll have meditation apps that we can offer. We have uh, breathing gifts that we offer. So we want to make sure that we um, make it accessible to everyone. And so it has to be free. A lot of the resources we have can drill down very close to where you're at. If you put in your zip code, wow. we don't, we don't do that for you. We empower you to do that. That's you know, great. our goal isn't to give you advice, not about us. It's not about our, our advice or what we think it's about you as a texter. And we want to make sure that we're giving you that opportunity to find the support that you need. Well, that's great. That's great. And, and how did you get started with them? Well, I have a very unique story uh, that goes along with Crisis Text Line. Um, actually here, uh, I'm based in Michigan and I helped create, uh, I started volunteering at a, at a crisis center, realized I was really, really good at what I do. They hired me and I helped create the first chat program. Uh, ch crisis chat program in the state of Michigan. Wow. And so from there, Crisis Text Line was just starting and it was like April 2013. They were just starting out and they saw that I had started this program. So they invited me out to be part of like a uh, advisor type committee. And so uh, I was able to go there and offer a lot of support on how to best their platform because you don't, you're not, as a crisis counselor or as a volunteer, you're not using your phone. Oh, you're not? What no. Are you? Okay. <laughs> you use an application online, so you log into a website, and you're all on your computer. Right. So you can do it from your lap. Because I'm telling you, if it was from your phone, I would. Ha I have meaty thumbs. Like, that ain't going to work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I don't know why my phone thinks I use the word ducking all the time. Because, you know, that's <laughs> And so... Uh, and so with that application. So like I was sharing ways, like my frustrations on, on the chat programs that I was using and better ways to be able to service because I was really like part of the front line. 
and they had a lot of awesome professor professionals there that were more of like directors of centers and and so we had a lot of uh a lot of resources that you could tap into and so they asked me to be part of the of the advisory board and then uh when they started august 1st which we're coming up to our fifth anniversary august 1st 2013 they had centers like crisis centers doing all of the you know pulling all the textures so that's um and then they asked me to do like a pilot of some volunteers to try to do a pilot pilot volunteer training and so i created a, a created a training an online training and i trained about 20 volunteers that started taking conversations and we were recognizing that their quality was better than what we were getting at some of the centers. That's great. And with that, we thought it's because of the consistency of the training I gave them. Because each center has their own policies and they all follow what they need to follow. And they're great. But the consistency of the training that I did with those crisis counselors really gave uh, a, better, a, a better user experience for our texture. And so that's where it grew. Wow. And now, We've trained about, gosh, over 10,000 people. We have currently like almost 4,100 um, monthly active uh, counselors. So, you know, it fluctuates. People come and go. but And they're uh, all volunteers? It's all volunteers. Wow. Um, and we're in need because as we're growing, we need our volunteer population to grow. And so if any of your listeners are interested in volunteering, please go to our main website, crisistextline.org, and check out what what the requirements are. It's It's... 30 hours of an online training. You always have a supervisor there when you're on the platform, someone like me, and you just, you're able to change lives. And I like to say pants optional, probably not the best. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that's an anxiety sisters type of volunteering. <laughs> yeah. You can do it from your bed. We yes. can do it. If, exactly. if it can be done from your bed, we're in. Exactly. I mean, I'm always in my pajamas. People always are like, does Jen have pants on today? Who knows? It's a crapshoot. So, um, but yeah, so there, you do it in the privacy of your own home. You don't have to go out to a place to do it. And you are, you have that, you know, it's asynchronous. So you can sit there and think a little bit instead right. of trying on the right. phone where you feel like you have to make them, you know, and right. if you're stuck, you reach out to the community of volunteers that are on too. And you just chat with them saying, Hey, you know what? I'm having a brain fart. Can someone tell me another word for, you know, courageous or something. And you have that support and you have that with your supervisors as well. And that's what we're there for. And I think it's a great opportunity, especially for the anxiety sisters. Um, if you want to give back, this is, this is a great start. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you had mentioned a date a few minutes ago. Um, and I know that it's related to the fact that you call yourself an attempt survivor. Yes. We were wondering if you could share your story with our listeners. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it took me a while to share my story. Um, I did mention April, 1995. Uh, I was in, uh, my fourth year of college, uh, on the five year plan. Yeah. You know, don't judge. Yeah, my, all um, my kids were on those. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, I had always heard voices since I was 18 in my head, but I always thought it was my conscience, you know, like the little devil, the little angel on your shoulder telling you things. And um, that night they were really, really loud um, saying, I'm no good. I'm useless. I'm a slut. No one would care if I was here. I should just go kill myself. And they just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And I was an insomniac, so I didn't sleep a lot. So the nighttime was always the roughest, which generally is for most people who are struggling 
um, because it's you're alone. Um, and I just started believing what these voices were telling me. And I just knew, um, you know, I, I don't want to go into details because I don't think it matters on how I attempted, but I just know that I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to wake up the next morning. And um, lucky, luckily, lucky for the world you did. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my roommate shook me awake. She didn't have no clue what I had tried to do. She just knew that I was sad and needed help. And so then I reached out to my mom and I was able to uh, find a psychiatrist that uh, eventually diagnosed me with some three major illnesses that uh, made sense later on. You know, looking back, it made sense. Uh, They diagnosed me with bipolar anxiety disorder and panic disorder. So it was a nice little cluster of uh, illnesses that when I looked back, I realized this wasn't me. Like Mm -hmm. I was being like, my brain was fucking up. Right. Right. It was just like this chemical imbalance and knowing that really validated a lot of things that I had done, you know, we, we always use the term brain illness as yes. opposed to mental illness, because mental illness can feel very nebulous. Yeah. Uh, whereas brain illness, it's pretty specific. It's your brain that's ill, <laughs> and it's very yeah. tangible. And I think that once I, in terms of dealing with my own anxiety and depression, and pa- I had panic disorder too, that is fun. Um, <laughs> when, uh, when I was early in my treatment for those disorders, it really helped me to think of it as a brain illness, because it also made me feel like it was less my fault. Yeah. I mean, it's a brain attack, just like a heart attack. Yep. It's a brain attack. And the brain attack tried to kill me. Yes. Yeah. And so my brain tried to kill me and luckily it didn't. And I was able to, you know, find a regimen where I still lived an optimal life. You know, I didn't want to be a zombie. Like I still want to be Jen, you know, I was a very friendly person and I like to smile and I'm outgoing. You're definitely not a zombie. You might be a unicorn. (laughs) You might be a mermaid, but you're not a zombie. You might be a mermaid indeed, but not a zombie. No, I'm a mermacorn. And I think, uh, yeah, so I really wanted to still have my personality, which I'm really grateful for because they could have easily could have just medicated me where I just was like, just not there having like, you know, I like the ups and downs. I think it's part of being human. Yes. And so I, I wanted to be able to still live that way and still have a life like that. And so I'm very fortunate. Um, but I was always afraid to share the story. Like, I really didn't share the story till about four years ago of my attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, even my mom didn't realize that I had attempted. She just knew that I was having suicidal thoughts and that I needed to get help because I that's what I shared with her. So um, we always tell our, our listeners who are ha- a lot of them are having those very thoughts. You are not alone. Oh, you are so not alone. We talk about the anxiety sisterhood and we include in that the depression sisterhood, mm-hmm. the suicidal sisterhood, the bipolar sisterhood. We're all together on that. And yeah. we are the world's largest sorority with the toughest initiation. I you agree. Know, a I lot agree. of um, a lot of anxiety sisters have written to us privately um, or not so privately sometimes that they've been diagnosed with either bipolar one or now sometimes bipolar two. I was wondering sort of what that looks like for you. Sure. Um, way back when, like everyone, like I think it was like manic depressive yes. is what was a term that a lot of people used before um, bipolar was really the, the diagnosis. And so for me, I was manic. I was hypermanic. Like I said, I wouldn't sleep. I would sleep like 
five to seven hours a week. A week. Um, a, week. a week. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And it was before Netflix and chill. So I had to like, <laughs> endure. I had to endure those sh- shitty infomercials that were on. Like how many thigh masters are in your right? closet? <laughs> oh my gosh! You only knew. Um, right. And so like those. So I did. I mean, I literally. I was just always ramped up. And I always tried to do risky things. Like that's where my level was. Now, a lot of people deep down into the darker part of the bottom, you right. know, the, the, the depressive part. And I rarely, well, I would get there. Don't get me wrong. And that's where the spikes, the peaks and valleys were extreme for me. And so, you know, like I said, the night that I, I attempted that night, I was ramped up. I was at the bar. I was making out with guys. I was doing all sorts of things that you probably shouldn't be doing. Um, but I didn't care cause I liked the attention and people liked me. And in my inside, I was dying cause I was feeling so lonely and my self-esteem was horrible. And, you know, I thought any attention I could get was good attention. Right. And so if it was me flashing people at the bar, then yay, people are looking at me and I feel, I feel wanted and, you know, but really inside I'm like, that voices are like, you're just, you're an idiot. You're not wanted. But then, you know, you deep down, like I had a, a moment in, um, Oh nine where I, de- I fell into a deep depression where I didn't get out of bed for days. And my husband recognize that and he was like what can we do to make it better and and you know he he was amazing um to be able to recognize that and make sure that I was you know safe and because I was having thoughts again too and it's like you know every day I still I still have thoughts like, right yeah and, and that's normal mm-hmm. um it's but I, I'll never have a plan right I'll never do it you know I know I will never do it the thoughts are there, but that's just part of my illness. And and thoughts are just thoughts. Yep. You yep. know, I know that so. sounds very trite, but, you know, we repeat it a lot around here. Thoughts are just yeah. thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And that's, you know, something that we also, like, with textures texting in, you know, again, you know, I'm thinking of suicide. We're not going to rush and call the police because thoughts are thoughts, like you said. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think... You know, everyone has their own extreme to being bipolar. Um, of course, I hate when people say I'm so bipolar. And I, <laughs> I am so bipolar. And you're yeah. like, no, fucker, you're not. You know, <laughs> you are, you're just an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I'll call them out on it. I mm-hmm. probably won't say an idiot because I am very empathic. But, um, but still, I think... Um, using it as an adjective versus what it actually is can be really, really rough. And that's part of the stigma that I'm trying to, you know, trying to educate people on, you know, don't say dumb stuff. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't well, be a dick. Because words matter. Yes, words matter. Words matter, you know, mm-hmm. and what we hear about ourselves and from ourselves, very powerful. It is. And so we're also trying really hard to change the conversation. Um, you know, I have OCD and it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, I'm a little bit OCD. like, no, you're really not. <laughs> you just have to live in my issues. world. Live in my world for a month. Then right. let's talk. Although I have to admit, occasionally she turns to me and says, 
couldn't you just get a little bit of OCD? Yes, I do wish it on Maggie all the time. Because I, we I travel together. <laughs> we travel together and I have all these like arrangement issues oh and gosh, neatness. Yes. It's like, you know, where things have to be just so. And, and she can't go in my car or basically in my house. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I go to Col- I'm in Columbus right now and um, I'm in an Airbnb because I can't stay with Maggie because mm-hmm. of my OCD. So, yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny story because my husband, you know, I have moments like I don't say I'm OCD, but I definitely have moments and it's a control thing for me. But my my maiden name's Losey, L-O-S-E-Y, Losey. So Kevin likes to say that I have low CD, <laughs> which is uh, lazy, obsessive compulsive <laughs> because I'll sit there and I'll stare at a picture that's crooked and it bothers me so bad. And I'm like, honey, that picture's crooked and I just keep staring at it and he goes do you want me to fix it I was like yes please like instead of me just getting up and fixing it I make other people do it so uh, very smart yes actually I expend way more energy so I think I might try the low CD (laughs) method my my involves me running around everywhere in the whole neighborhood and fixing every crooked everything so Well, you know, and, and again, that's just part of your, the illness that you struggle with. So we, I, I'm always wondering, cause it's something I struggle with, but I'm always wondering like, sort of how do you get all your things done in the context of that? Like when there are, I'm sure times of real struggle. You know, that that's a, a really deep question. Uh, and I love it because nobody's perfect, mm-hmm. right? So I can have as many balls in the air and sometimes they're just going to all fall in my face and that's okay because Mm -hmm. I'm still going to try to juggle the rest of them, you know, the minute I pick them all up. And so with that though, for me, what helps me is I have an amazing support system. So I don't feel like I'm just that, you know, like the cliche working mom, you know, I have to do this and then I come home and I No, I don't have that because I have a wonderful partner and my husband who, who takes care of stuff too. You know, Mm -hmm. we have an amazing partnership in our marriage. So like if our son, you know, our youngest son, Gibby needs to go to, you know, get his uh, fitted for a viola, like he just went out and did it one day. Like it was, it was on the table and I just kept looking at it going, I don't know when I'm going to have time for it. And then, you know, he calls me and he's like, Hey, I'm out. You want Thai food? And I was like, where are you? And he goes, I took Gibby to go get his viola fixed, you know? And I'm like amazed with that. And so the support is really there. Um, and my husband knows that this is such a passionate thing for me. And so do my kids. My kids are so aware of everything I do. Like suicide is not a bad word in our house. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a word that we talk about. I mean, my son has known since he was in first grade, my oldest, you know, I, I'm very conscious of, of them and they know they can come to me. Um, but I also, you know, I do say no. I'm good. You know, I'm good at saying no. Um, I got to make sure that the event is right for me if I'm going to go and, and do a presentation or go to a conference or something. Um, and again, my family is very understanding. So I'm actually an empath. Like I know people think that's like mumble jumble shit, but I am. So I feel all the feels. And so the work I do on the crisis text line on those high volume days and I see such sadness or anxiety, Yes, I- I'm feeling it too. Like of I'm course. completely drained after a shift and I'll just go and lay in my bed and my three dogs will pop up cause they know. And my son, you know, he'll come in and say, you want to watch American pickers or do you want to watch a documentary on tiny homes? I'm like, yes, 
Yeah. And so he'll just sit there with me and he can be, he's watching YouTube on his phone or whatever, but he just knows that I need that time. But he also knows that I don't want to be alone. And so, um, I, I'm very, very fortunate for that. So again, I, I juggle, but sometimes the balls drop and when they do, I don't let it get me down. I, I just pick them up and say, okay, I'm going to keep going. And you know, that was just a brief moment in time instead of, uh, you know, letting it get to me for a whole week and, and just feeling so deflated by it. Mm. Your kids are very lucky to live in a house where suicide is not a word that can't be uttered. Yes. Uh, because I think a lot of our listeners, a lot of people out there, that isn't the case for them and hasn't been the case for them. And part of what we're all, you know, what you're trying to do, what Maggie and I are trying to do is really, really change the way we talk about mental illness. So the word suicide isn't so fraught. In other words, of course, it's something that we're that we really want to prevent, but mm-hmm. we also want to make it part of the everyday vocabulary so that it's it can be addressed. Oh, you're so right there because, like, okay, I'm going to share a story. I've shared this before, but I love this story because it really just it shows exactly what I mean about the language around the word suicide. Gibby was in third grade, and he was on a basketball team. And it was a bunch of third grade boys who obviously are hard to handle. The basketball coach was getting very frustrated um, because of their behavior. And he said, if you guys don't stop, I'm going to make you do suicides. And so if you don't know, like conditioning, it was running the lines, basically. Right. Suicide sprints. Right. Suicide sprints. So Gibby stands up puts his hand on his coach's arm and said, no coach, you don't have to do that. Suicide's not the answer. You can talk to to my mom. You can text her too. You can text my mom. He just looks at me and I'm like, yeah, suicide means kill yourself. Is that what you're referring to coach? And he goes, well, no. And I was like, right. Why don't you just say run the lines? And he was like, okay. And so that's what I mean. So to, you know, coaches and you know people they say running suicide sprints suicide is bad to them yeah they don't you know we don't want to do su- so we're not going to say the word suicide because that means bad it means i'm in trouble it and means it's that scary. I, it's really it's scary. scary i think a lot of people also feel like especially around teenagers if they say the word suicide or they talk about suicide it's the same yeah. thing with sex or drugs <laughs> um that gives teenagers license to um to think about it and to but, you know sort of put it in their to, lives what we need and that, to tell people is oh. that we think about it anyway yeah. <laughs> i mean well, it, teenagers think about suicide and it doesn't make them abnormal and it doesn't make them necessarily suicidal right and it also like you know that's such a myth because you're yes. not going to plant the seed just like you no, said of course like not. you're not planting the seed if the seed's already there and you say, are you feeling suicidal? It's probably going to bring a lot of relief to that person knowing that it's okay to talk about it because you exactly. just asked. It's a natural part of our lives in terms of not doing it necessarily, you know, what it is natural for some people, but it's a natural part of our lives in terms of having suicidal ideation sometimes and, you know, what it means and where to get help. And yeah, I mean, I think that it's um, part yeah. of our emotions. Maggie and I are working on a campaign, hashtag anxious is human. Ah, I love that. And really, I mean, there's so many complexities to being human and human and, you know, the notion of suicide and thinking about suicide, that is human. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so we we really agree with you in that this this has to become part of the conversation so that people feel easier talking about it, easier texting about it. Well, like um, I said, that that thirteen and under talking about self harm, like yes. the conversation needs to be now. Yes, if you're a parent of a fifth grader, you know, or I, I mean, I don't know about younger. Like you don't have to be as open as I am, but. Uh, but having that conversation to let them know that you're there. So instead of like a lot of people feel self-harm, a lot of parents, you know, oh, they're doing it for attention. Well, you know what? Give them the damn attention. They're doing it for a reason. And so like what is going on to make them want to cut? So like I don't, I always get frustrated with that because I'm like, I don't understand why you think it's attention. And if it is attention, then what's going on? Why do they need this attention? Right, Let's exactly. explore that. And yeah, I think and that's important of talking with your kids. I know a lot of parents are afraid, like you said, about planting a seed or, or, or whatever. And it, it's really, no, it's just having a, an open conversation and a way for them to know that you are a resource and not someone that they can't share with. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I've seen is sometimes if parents, um, haven't been in the mental health world at all or um, feel not so equipped to have these conversations. You know, there's so many great resources online, even age-appropriate resources about sort of how to start to talk to your kids oh, Yes, about sure. these kinds of issues. Yeah. You're right. And a lot of those resources, like, you know, what I mentioned about crisis text line yes. resources, they're on there. Like half of us is sort of like the older college age kids where it gives you an opportunity to help a friend. Um, there's Teen Tribe, which is sort of like a peer-to-peer support for kids who are, you know, teenagers. Uh, and then, you know, there's all sorts of resources like the American Foundation of, uh, you know, suicide prevention. They just have so there's so much information out there that you can educate yourself and be prepared if you need to have that conversation. And well, then, everyone you know, needs to have the conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like but I think what happens is people who feel like, well, I don't have a lot of experience with this, I don't know what's appropriate to say to a fifth grader and what's not right. appropriate to say. And you mentioned the LGBTQ community and yes. the Trevor Project yes. is fantastic. I mean, they have a lot yes. of resources for um, for LGBTQ, so. Yeah. I think too, something like regarding the, the communication around it is there aren't gonna be people who have that, that, that mental health space or that, that space to be able to hear somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's where these resources come in. Right. But I think when you're, when you're having a kid who's opening up to you, they're not looking for you to tell them. Like if you're thinking about what to say to them, then you're really not listening. Right. So it's really more important about just saying, I'm here to listen, you know, you can share with me. And then if you don't have answers or you don't have ways that you can provide resources, that's when you go and suggest and say, hey, why don't we look at this website together? Maybe we can find something that works for you. So that way you're still engaging, but you don't have to do all of the, you know, you don't have to know everything and it's okay. It's all about listening. Jen, I've read some of your blogs and you've talked about being a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. And we get a lot of questions into Anxiety Sisters. You know, a lot of us have health anxiety and then some of us have had breast cancer, other kinds of very serious health problems. And um, we get a lot of questions about how do you deal with anxiety that 
post-diagnosis or even post-treatment, sort of Mm -hmm. going forward, what do you do with that anxiety? It's tough. I'll be completely honest. I'm, I'm healthy. You know, I, I've gone, uh, I think the last six month one was like my last one for, I think I can wait a year now. And, um, and I've seemed to be very, um, you know, on track with everything. I was able to get my mastectomy tattoo. So that was really a wonderful feeling for me. But I do sit there and think about it. Like any, like I'll be washing myself in any little difference. I freak. Mm-hmm. And I have an anxiety attack and I have to lay down and I have to remind myself it's okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. And, um, and then sometimes when I go to like when I, the last exam I went to, I really did have a massive panic attack because I hadn't gone in a while and I'm like, what if they see something? What if they, you know, what is going on? And I think that, you know, there's like a spectrum of anxiety. So you're going to have the natural anxiety of anything that's, you know, going to any doctor, going to the dentist, whatever, you're going to have that natural anxiety. But then, um, but you have to also remember that, you know, it's better to go and know than it is to sit and think. And so for me, I think that was what I always remember. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I mean, funny story. I've been working out and I was like, holy shit, what is this? And I realized it was my pectoral muscles that I had built. <laughs> and I was like, thought they were like weird lumps. My husband's like, dude, they're your pecs. I was like, ah, oh, Yeah, crap. Maggie and I would make the same mistake because we're very unfit. So anything that resembled, anything I resembling just, a muscle, we would be sure it must be something else. I haven't seen a muscle in years, so I have <laughs> no idea. It was really a weird thing. But, you know, I think, again, having, um, like, having breast cancer was, it was just a whole... I, I still look back in shock, like, oh, I had that four years ago. That's really weird. I'll, I'll have Facebook memories pop up, and I'll be like, oh, and it'll bring back exactly what I was feeling at that time that picture was taken. And it, it's, I don't know, it's really hard because I really do feel it's an individual experience. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to experience it differently, but I just know for me, I, I knew I was going to be anxious. Like, there's certain things that I know are going to trigger me, so I try to prepare for it ahead of time. Right. Uh, I try to make sure that, uh, you know, my husband's very aware, like anytime I travel and I travel a lot, he knows that I always, the night before, I always have <laughs> call it the flop, the flop sweat, which basically I have diarrhea. Mm-hmm. So it's just, <laughs> you know, so I'm just like, well, I get the trots cause I travel and then I get constipated because I'm traveling and I'm anxious. And so there's like, that's a lot of information I just shared to your viewers. Oh, they're used to it. They have it too. <laughs> and with that, though, they're all like, yeah, I'm not alone. I get the travel trots. Um, yes. yes. So I think, um, again, I think it's really important to just know yourself in that moment. Like know that, uh, okay, so this is going to make me nervous. So what can I do to help myself beforehand and sort of have that that coping skills ready to be able to tap into right away. So that's great advice. That is that's good advice. Great. Thank you for sharing about that. We really appreciate it. So our last question is, you are also a founding board, because you're not busy enough. No. So you are also a founding board member of Six Feet Over. Would you uh, share with our listeners about that organization? Oh, I'd love to. So Six Feet Over is an organization, a nonprofit here in Michigan. And what we do is we help those who have lost someone to suicide. So we also go out in the community for our outreach. Um, and when in our outreach, so Six Feet Over is the main nonprofit, but our outreach and our, our funding and all of our merch is considered suck it suicide. And so with that, 
going to festivals and stuff, we sell shirts. It says second suicide. Basically, it came about uh, our CEO Katie's like, if suicide was a person, what would you say to it? And you, you know, suck it. So there we go. <laughs> and so Katie had lost a lot of people. And so what we do though, which I think is super unique in the space of helping those who've lost someone, our community is really like the grit. So we have musicians, we have artists, we have bartenders and waitresses and people who don't have paid time off. People who don't have insurance when they lose a loved one. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we help with funding the cost of memorial and funeral services, with cremation, with cleanup. I mean, some people don't even think about that. Mm -hmm. Like we work mm -hmm. with a, a, clean, a gleaners, which is a hazmat service that will go in and clean up properly. So that person doesn't have to clean up and have that extra traumatic experience. The other thing that we like to do is, you know, like do offer paid time off, like um, expenses sometimes to be able to help that person grieve and have closure. You know, a, a beautiful story that we had. And, and so we're all like founding board member. I, I'm volunteer. All of our board members are volunteer. We're working people, you know, and so we volunteer our time and all the money that is raised goes directly to our the families. And so we had a, an event just a couple of weeks ago where we were sloshing beers at a, 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 a festival and all the tips went to suck at suicide or six feet over. And that Friday before we got a message from a family that was looking for support. And by the end of the weekend, we were able to raise enough money to exactly help them exactly what they were looking for. Mm. So. So like I said, all the money goes directly there. So if you, you know, have a sick uncle, I'm just kidding, uh, a sick rich uncle, you know, send the money our way. There's my dogs barking in the background. Yes. Um, <laughs> we yeah, hear them. Uh, so if you, if you want to donate to a cause that really does make a difference in Michigan and, you know, we're, we're looking to expand. If you really do want to help a cause, you know, think about donating some money to the six feet over it's six ftover.org is our website. You can check out more talking about talking to someone, so tons of information there about knowing the signs and how you can help someone. Uh, so I'm really proud of that one. And we also have partnered with crisis text line. And so you can text S I S two seven four one seven four one. And again, you'll be able to get a, a trained counselor through crisis. And can you tell us what crisis text line is? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sure. Let's go back. Let's rewind. And SIS is suck at suicide. It is. So, it is. That's our keyword. We S -S like that. That's so, good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you want to remind, remember us as Suck at Suicide, we do have a Facebook page and you'll, you'll just really see the involvement that we have. I mean, we are, like I said, a unique space. We're tattooed. We're funky we have green hair red hair whatever color we are um we are the crack of the intervention world. <laughs> you guys have tremendous spirit tremendous compassion and a lot of strength um I, i'm speaking for maggie and myself uh, and probably for a lot of our listeners now who's who say that we we really appreciate what you do i mean yeah. you you do you do the it's like what we dream of. You help individuals, and then you're also helping to drive policy and larger conversations that will affect institutions. And that's just really, really important to us. So we're just, we just want to say thank you for all that you do. If I can um, help one person in the world, then I know my job is done. So oh, that's well. all I need. You are, you are a special person. We, we feel really lucky to know you. And uh, we are hoping to follow in your footsteps. Well... I am ready to have you. I'll make sure I'll make 
big, big marks for you to follow because it's easy. <laughs> All you have to do is talk about it. Yes, we, that's what we're trying to do. So thanks so much for joining us, Jen. We really appreciate it. So like I said, I'm glad to be here and I, uh, you know, thank you to the listeners and hopefully if you want to volunteer, like I said, go to the, hopefully you guys will uh, put up the website, but you can volunteer there. It's a great opportunity to give back um, from your home. And also our listeners probably know from being on our website that Crisis Text Line is the very first thing you see when you click resources. I love it. So you can just click right on their their logo and and it goes right to the website. Fantastic. You guys are the best. Thanks again, Jen. No be, problem. Be well. I will. Take care. Bye-bye, Jen. Bye-bye. On our next episode, we will be talking about driving phobias of all kinds, including driving on highways, on bridges and tunnels, driving alone, driving with others, driving at night, driving in the rain, driving in the snow. We will be talking about all of it and how to start the process of healing from this very widespread phobia and anxiety disorder. We have some announcements. Mm -hmm. Where can they find us, Megs? You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. As always, if you have feedback and especially compliments or questions or an idea for for a podcast, please email us. And that's abs and mags at anxietysisters.com. And if you're enjoying our podcasts, we would so appreciate you leaving us a review on SoundCloud or iTunes because that's how the word gets out about Anxiety Sisters. And the name of our podcast is The The Spin Spin Cycle. Cycle with the Anxiety Sisters. So another announcement that's very exciting is... Yes, we're finally going on tour. We've been promising it for almost a year now, but we have figured out how to do it, and we have gotten everything together, and so we are starting in Ohio, right in the center of the country. O-H-I-O. All right. We're going to be in Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus the last week of September, and we will be posting the dates and times on our website and on our Facebook page and all the other information about how you can get tickets if you'd like to come. So come out and meet us. We would love to see you. And last but not least, if you feel like you need a little bit more support, we have an incredible group of women in our secret sisterhood. If you are interested in being part of our secret sisterhood, just... Which is a secret group on Facebook. It's a secret group on Facebook. There is a nominal fee of $5 a month. But it is totally confidential and unsearchable. No one will even know you're in the group except for the members of the group. It's a it's a really it's a support group. It's and it's fantastic. the most incredible people that you can imagine. Like we can't believe how amazing the people in this group are. And and we're in there too every day. So go to Abs and Mags at anxietysisters.com. Send us an email. Send us an email and we will get you in connected with the group. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety, anxiety Sisters, don't, don't go it alone. alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.